Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of keeping our eyes on the Lord. It's so easy to think that God doesn't know what you're doing. It's so easy to be discouraged. It's so easy to look around and say, well, they're not doing anything. Why should I? You be faithful. It is required of a steward this, that he be found faithful. Faithful in the day of small things and he will be faithful in the days of greater things. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. What has God called you to do? Be faithful. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Celebrating a good tackle or a touchdown is commonplace in the NFL these days. But the truth is, a game is not won by one play. Today, Pastor Xavier points out that in our own spiritual journey, we can't rely on one or two seasons of faithfulness. Those who cross the finish line are the ones who hold to a lifetime of commitment and faithfulness to the Lord. Turn to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 12, for today's lesson on the importance of staying faithful. Now, chapter 12, there's an attack upon Judah from Egypt. It says, Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. After three years, how we have seen different people in our own lives who we have introduced to the Lord. And we see them so on fire. We see them used of God. We see them so committed to the study of the Word. We see them so committed to ministry. We see them so on fire to witness and to bring others to Christ. And then after a year, after 10, after 40, they walk no longer with the Lord. You see, seniority doesn't get it in the Lord. What gets it in the Lord is consistency. And sometimes we feel because we have so many years in the Lord that we're okay. If you're not abiding in the Lord, you are not okay. We must always seek Him. Verse 2 says, And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Notice that the attack, the Chronicles point out that they come because God is the one who brought them. God was judging Rehoboam. He came with a mighty host in verse 3, 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, people without number. They came with him out of Egypt, the Lubans, the Shikang, Sakim, and the Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and he came to Jerusalem and Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and he said to them, Thus saith the Lord, You have forsaken me and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. Heavy words. Direct judgment from God. And so the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, The Lord is righteous. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, wherefore? I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, so they would become vassals to him, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. He says, Let them be under the yoke of the heathen, and let them compare it to my yoke. And so God did not totally destroy them, but he did chastise them. But he's so faithful. 
If we repent genuinely from our heart, God obligates himself to forgive, but he holds himself responsible to his righteousness and his justice and his loving kindness. And so Shishak in verse 9, the king of Egypt came against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. And so it was a real humbling experience. Now since they took the shields of gold, verse 10 says that they were replaced by King Rehoboam as he made bronze shields and committed them to the hands of the captains of the garden who guarded the entrance of the king's house. Brass or bronze is always symbolic of judgment in the scriptures. Now in chapter 13, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah, his son, became king over Judah, the southern kingdom. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up a battle formation against him with 800,000. So it was two to one. He was outnumbered. He had twice as many men of valor. Then Abijah, in verse 4, stood on Mount Zemarium, up in the north, which is the mountain of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam and all Israel. And so before he fights them, he is going to preach to them. He's going to charge them for their fault. He says, Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? And a covenant of salt is an irrevocable covenant. You find in Leviticus chapter 2 and Numbers 18. He says, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. And so he charges him for being unfaithful. Then worthless rogues, scoundrels, literally, gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. Now, he's building it up a little more than he really is because Rehoboam was not too swift of a guy either. But nevertheless, he is making the commitment based on God's promise to the kingdom of David. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of his son of David, and you are in great multitude, and with you are the gold calves which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord and the sons of Aaron and the Levites and made for yourself priests like the people of the other lands? So that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of the things that are not gods? But, here's a contrast. As for us, the Lord is our God. And we have not forsaken him and the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron and the Levites attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and evening the burnt sacrifice, the sweet incense, and the showbread, and he goes on to enumerate everything else. In verse 12, he says, Now look, God himself is with us in our head, and his priests sounding the trumpets to sound the alarm against you, O children of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an enemy to go around behind them, and they were in front of Judah, and ambush was behind them. And so while he's giving them this beautiful message, he's, uh, he's outnumbered them two to one, he splits his army in half, and he allows the other ones to go behind him. So by the time he's done giving this little message, he's got army before him, he's got army behind him, he's surrounded. And so verse 14 says, when Judah looked around, they were surprised, and they were encircled, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priest sounded the trumpets, then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God 
struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Right before their eyes, God intervened. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. Then Abijah and his people struck them with the great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. They only were left with 300,000. And thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Notice that. They prevailed only because they relied on the Lord. You and I will only prevail if we rely on the Lord. You know, it doesn't make any difference what you have and what talents, what abilities you have, or what condition you're in. You'll be faithful to God. You stand fast on God's promises and His Word, and you'll be faithful. And He says, He will be faithful to you and to myself. Ask God for wisdom. There's much to be learned. Now in chapter 14, it says, So Abijah rested with his father, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. So there was ten years of peace. And verse 2 says, As Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. But 1 Kings chapter 15 tells us a little different about him. Again, from the perspective of God, God is not in the Chronicles trying to point out sin and faults. He's just trying to show us that he's in control. Because in 1 Kings chapter 15, in verse 3 it says, And he walked in all the sins of his father. And if you, if you look at the record there, it gives us the other side of his life. Now, is it contradictory? Is there contradictions? Is there errors in the Bible? No. The Chronicles, God is giving it from his perspective. He's not so much concerned to give a detail. He's only allowing to be written what he wants to reveal, which is really admirable of God because, as we said, not David's sin was mentioned in Chronicles, and neither are the sins of Asa here mentioned. It's so exciting, the grace of God, that he never mentions our sins if we truly have repented. And when he tells of my life, when he speaks about me in heaven, he looks at me as perfect. When Satan came before him, the throne of God, God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is righteous. He hates evil. I wonder what God says about me and you. God's grace is so tremendous. It covers our failures, our sins, our shortcomings. So he did good, it says here in verse 2. But in verse 3 it says he removed the altars of the foreign gods. The wooden images at the end, those are uh, Asherims, which were in the groves, and they were Sidonian gods and, uh, that were worshiping sexual lasciviousness, sexual cultic rites of fertility. He commanded Judah in verse 4 to serve the law and the commandments. In verse 6, he built cities, he fortified them. The land had rest in those years. In verse 8, he, Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah and carried shields and spears from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows, and all were mighty men of valor. Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them after 10 years with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Merishah. So Asa went out against him. And they set the troops in battle arrayed in the valley of Sephathah at Merishah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, 
It is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. Tremendous. Now, some questions we must ask. Where did this cry come from? Did it truly come from Asa? Is man capable of such depths of spirituality within himself? No. Moses cried out in the mountain, If you cannot forgive them of their sins, then blot my name out of the book of life. Paul said, I could wish myself a curse for my brethren, the Jew. Where did these cries come from? From man? No. From the Spirit of God within man. God is always seeking for a man that he might use him and glorify himself. Man is merely a vessel. It is God who gives us the faith to believe, and man cannot conjure it up. He cannot work it up. It is God who endows man with the gift of faith, with love, or whatever is necessary. And so whenever we are used of God in tremendous ways, we have to be careful because men will want to have their eyes on us, that we are so spiritual, we are so great. No, it's only God and His goodness and his faithfulness, and his love for his people. That's all it is. Tremendous lessons. I want to be used. There is no other reason to be in this world if it isn't to communicate the love and grace and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary and really of no importance at all. And so, Asa, Nothing for you, Lord, to help, whether with many or with those that have no power. Two short words. Help us. <laughs> oh, I've cried those words out so often. I mean, let me tell you, every time that God gives me the material for sermons and every time God uses me, I'm amazed because it's God and God alone, no one else. So he says, O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. That's good. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. And so the Ethiopians were overthrown. They could not recover. They were broken before the Lord and his army, the Lord's army, not Asa's army, the Lord's army. And they carried away very much spoil. In chapter 15, we get the reform of Asa. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Underline that again. Key, key scriptures of the Old Testament. He says, if you will seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he 
will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without a true God, without a true teaching priest. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was in all the inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Paul says, let us not faint, for we will reap in due time. It's so easy to think that God doesn't know what you're doing. It's so easy to be discouraged. It's so easy to look around and say, well, they're not doing anything. Why should I? You be faithful. It is required of a steward this, that he be found faithful. Faithful in the day of small things, and then he will be faithful in the days of greater things. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. What has God called you to do? Be faithful. Verse 8 says, When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Obed, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah, Benjamin, from the cities which he had taken in the mountain of Ephraim, and he restored the altar of the Lord which were before the vestibule of the Lord. And then he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and those who sojourned with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in the great numbers of Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. And so they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, which was Pentecost in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They offered the Lord at times their sacrifice in verse 11. Then they entered into a covenant in verse 12 to seek the Lord their God, their fathers, with all their hearts and with all their souls. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. Now, God doesn't require this. This is getting a little overzealous. You cannot force somebody to be a Christian. It has to be of a free moral decision. It's a choice. In verse 16, he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. Literally, Asherah there is a Canaanite goddess of deity which was worshipped with fertility rites, sexual rites. And Asa cut down the obscene image. He crushed it. He burned it uh, by the brook of Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel, so there was still some form of idolatry left which always became a snare to the people of God. Now in chapter 16, Asa's treaty with Syria. 36 years in the reign of Asa. Notice, three years, Rehoboam, 36 years now with Asa. So years didn't make any difference. Basha, king of Israel, came against Judah to build Ramah, that he might let none go out and come in to Asa, king of Judah. And Asa brought silver and gold from the treasury of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. And he said to him, Let there be a treaty between you and me, and there was between my father and your father. Here I have sent you silver gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. And so rather than to trust the Lord, here he trusted in the arm of flesh. He had been doing so good for 36 years. What possessed him to trust in the arm of flesh? What possesses you and me when we have trusted in God for so long to turn aside for one thing that will just totally destroy our life? 36 years. And so in verse 4, Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa. 
He sent captains as armies. In verse 5, when Basha heard it, he stopped building Ramah. He ceased the work. And then in verse 6, King Asa took all of Judah. They carried away all the stones, the timber, and they used them to build city for themselves. It seems like we could commend Asa for his wisdom. Well, you know, he has some pull here. He has some favors that have to be given back to him. What a wise man. A lot of the things that we see going on in the church and by men who are supposed to be directed by God, we look upon and say, man, that's wisdom. But notice how God viewed the decision. Verse 7, And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah. And whenever a prophet visited you, it usually wasn't good news. And he said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord, your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubims not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. He destroyed 500,000 out of 800,000. Now what was the problem with the army this time, Asa? Don't you remember? Now listen, this scripture is quoted often, but it's quoted out of context. He says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. They only quote you the first half. It's a true principle that God's eyes are going to and fro, but the context is a rebuke to Asa because God's eyes were going to and fro to use Asa, but he trusted in the arm of flesh. And the men were saying, wise decision. God said, this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. You know, you and I can resort to the resolution of our problem after our own energies, our own wisdom, or the help of man. And you know what? You will have war from there on. You will do foolishly and so will I. You and I are not to trust in the arm of flesh, but in the spirit of the Lord for all of our situations. And Asa was angry. Notice the point. He's gotten so far away from God, rather than to repenting, he, he gets angry now at the prophet. And he throws him in prison. He was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Tremendous. He shall have wars all the rest of his life. Heavy. What an awesome position to be in. So verse 11 tells us about the acts of Asa. They're written in the book of the kings of Judah of Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased of his feet. With his malady was very severe, yet his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. This does not mean that God gets down on us if we go to the doctor. Be careful of this. You've got to get into the language. The physicians here are in reference to soothsayers, to necromancers. He didn't seek the Lord. He hardened his heart. This is not talking about medicine for today. I seek the Lord first when I'm sick. But if the Lord doesn't touch me, then I go to a doctor. And so Asa rested with his fathers, and he died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself, what a humble man, in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in the mixture of ointment. And they made a very great burning for him. Tremendous lessons for us in these few chapters. Don't lose sight of them.
I love the Old Testament. It just teaches me so much. Pastor Xavier Reese on walking consistently with the Lord. Now today's message has been titled Second Chronicles chapters 10 through 16 and is available on CD for just $4. And by the way, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So that title to ask for once again is Second Chronicles chapters 10 through 16. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com